Can you hear me now? So do I need to start over? <laughs> this was not the ideal start for the sermon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I was saying that uh, Billy Peru is doing some, something amazing up there. Uh, he is singing at the same time. On one hand has the mic, on the other hand is uh, changing the slides on the PowerPoint. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing, and you see amazing things in life. I just wanted to share that. It's almost like that, those guys in the olden times that used to have the family band where you know, every time they moved, you know, an instrument would play and had the flute in the front. Kind of reminded me of that upstairs. But I appreciate uh, David Williams uh, reading the text this morning. We are in uh, the Beatitudes, the book of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 6. And today, if you have your Bibles today, uh, we will be uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you have been able to enjoy uh, the message, the messages that we have been bringing on the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon preached by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the very words that he spoke, and we can meditate on those today. It's been an incredible series. The first sermon series Jake brought to us, he reminded us that the Sermon on the Mount isn't for everyone. In fact, it's a a pretty challenging sermon once you dig deep into the words. It challenges us the way we live, the way we think. And uh, today, I think, is going to be no exception. Because up until this point, we've talked about certain traits or certain practices of uh, the Christian faith or of humanity in general. We've covered anger. We've covered, covered murder. We've covered divorce. We've covered prayer and fasting and giving. But today, I would assume that the topic that Jesus brings to us today is one that we all struggle with. It's one that we all fall victim to. It's one that we pray that we can overcome each and every day. In fact, in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 25, Jesus continues, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And he continues in verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Today we're speaking about the issues of worry and also the accumulation of wealth or as I like to call it the rat race or greed. And worry and greed, these are things that I would safely assume that here in Dallas, Texas, one of the biggest cities, the most important cities in the world, it's something that we all would struggle with. I mean, am I alone in this? Raise your hand. If you ever struggle with worry, if you have maybe gone to bed a little bit later than anticipated or maybe woken up too soon, or greed, the rat race, how easy is it in the city in which we live and where we are 
to feel like our worth is dependent upon the accumulation of our wealth and to always want more and more and more to the point where we're working so hard. It's easy to do. And here's the thing that Jesus talks about, about worry and about greed, the rat race. Number one, it's a real thing that we all struggle with. And we acknowledge here and right now that it's something that we all deal with. Jesus, who lived and walked on this earth, acknowledges that worry and the pursuit of of earthly belongings, this is a real issue. It's a real life struggle that we all have to deal with day in and day out. Secondly, Jesus reminds us that worry and greed, ultimately, these are issues of faith. They are faith issues. Where we see a deficiency in our faith in God is when issues as greed and, and worry and trying to keep up with the rat race. That's when those kick in. Worry and the pursuit of earthly belongings to the point of unhealthiness, they distract us. They take us away from our goal. They take away our focus. They distract us from what is truly important. They move us away from the main point of why we're here, our our true purpose in life. They distract us from what we are intended to be doing day in and day out. I mean, have you ever been a part of something or done something where they totally missed the point? Adventures and missing the point? I mean, uh, there was one time I was early on in my uh, career, (laughs) if you could say that word. uh, I was preaching in a small town church in West Texas, Colorado City. They had, you know, about eight to 10 people (laughs) there in the audience. Uh, So, uh, but I considered it a privilege while I was going to grad school to preach there. And there was one sermon that I preached, and I remember I I just had labored over it, and I thought that I had communicated in such an effective way. And I had, it was during the Olympics, and so I had even brought in some some word plays and some examples to do the Olympics, and I had this amazing ending. I landed the plane, and I thought, wow, this is going to be an amazing uh, response from the crowd. And as I was at the back of the service, at the end, uh, people were walking out and shaking my hand, and this older lady who was so sweet, she took my hand, and she held it and said, John Mark, I love, and she kind of coughed a little bit, and I thought, man, what, if, what, what point is she going to bring to attention? Is it, is it the first point about faith? Is it, what is she going to bring? What does she love about my sermon? What did I say that's going to change her life for the rest of the latter part of her life? <laughs> and she held my hand and she cleared her throat and said, I love, I love the Olympics. <laughs> and she walked out. <laughs> totally missed the point. And it was probably my failure to communicate. <laughs> Another example of totally missing the point is youth sports. I mean, Matt, every, Matt's a uh, youth basketball coach. Every uh, Monday he comes in and just tells just terrible tales of these parents who get thrown out, who coaches who get in arguments. I mean, this is a blatant example of missing the point, of losing our focus. When these parents get out there and they start yelling and they start screaming and they get kicked out and they get embarrassed. But if you really pause, what's the whole point of youth sports it's fun it's development it's giving kids a a chance to practice and grow but 
It's so easy for us to get distracted and want to win. And uh, as a result, we tend to lose our focus. As Christians, we can also get caught up in the distractions of life and lose the purpose and the focus of why we are here and what we are supposed to do here on this earth. Worry is something that distracts us. The rat race pursuing material wealth as our, as our, as our un- only thing, that's also distracts us. So what is it as Christians? What can we do to prevent us from being distracted and and to focus? Well, in verse 33 of this text, Jesus puts it so eloquently. He talked about the rat race and about seeking material wealth here on this earth. And he talked about worry. And in verse 33, he says this, but seek first his kingdom And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. There it is, my friends. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now the big question. And the question I'm sure you're asking. Is what does that look like? Jesus says it and it's clear. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What what does it look like? How does it manifest in everyday life? How can we live out this command, these beautiful words of Jesus? Well, if I would have preached this sermon 10 years ago, I would have had a different answer. And if I didn't love you, I didn't care for you, and I wanted an easy way out... I would probably have an easy answer as well, but here's the deal. I, I am 10 years older. I do love you, and I do care for you. And the easy way is not always the best way. The easy answer would be just to tell you to do more. To do more religious stuff. To read your Bible more. To come to church more. To spend more time in prayer. To give more. That would be the easy answer. But here's what we learned last week and as the Sermon on the Mount has been teaching us. That doing more is not the answer. That empty ritual routine and trying to, to continue on, the, on, on this, this effort of, of earning our, our worth in the eyes of God, that's not the answer. That, that those things are good, the prayers and the reading of the scripture and the giving and the singing and the worship, but those are overflows of an existing love of God. They are results of something from within. There's an incredible parable kind of dealing with this that I learned. I heard this week, actually, June Martin sent me a podcast about this modern-day parable of a futuristic world where there is this this, uh, this world where it was illegal to be Christian. And they were putting on trial all of those who professed to be Christian. And in this parable, there is this preacher who was put on trial. And the prosecutor stands up before the judge and he has all the evidence. He has this Bible that's full of highlights and notes. He has the attendance of all of the church services that they've gone to. And the, uh, the records of even, even coming to Wednesday night church, which only the true 
believers go to Wednesday night church. Had all these things that were going on, had a list, and the prosecutor thought, wow, he did this, he did that, he did this. This is going to be a sure, a sure win. And uh, this preacher knew that he was sure to be convicted. But uh, when the judge opened the card and he said, I declare this defendant not guilty. Everyone was shocked. He said, well, didn't you see him come to church? Didn't you see him hit the Bible with all the, the highlights and the notes on the side? Didn't you see all the things that he did? And the judge, who was a wise judge, said, I see all those things. But I don't see the motivation in the heart. I don't see him helping the poor. I don't see him stopping to care for his neighbor. I don't see him loving the people to his left and to his right. So this day, this man is free to go. Sometimes we think that by doing more, we can earn God's favor or we can grow closer to him. But we all have learned through the series that it doesn't... That those are overflows of the heart that we begin with, with the inside. We begin by loving God. Jesus gives us a clue of how to do this. How can we keep the main thing the main thing? How can we seek first his kingdom? Well, in verse 34, he gives us a, a small clue. In verse 34, he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying that one place to start, one area where we can begin on this pursuit to seek God and to seek His kingdom, is to open our eyes to the blessings of today. To open our eyes to the the gift of life that we have here and now. You see, these things that Jesus was talking about before, the worry and the greed and the pursuit of material wealth, these are all, they all begin with a posture of not enough, of lacking. Man, if if I could just get that six-figure salary, then I would be okay. If I could buy that vacation home, you know, then I would be satisfied. And then we could go on the weekends. If if I could just get that promotion, then I will be happy. You see, these things, they begin with a posture of not enough. Do you know where the worst place to go for this is? Is the playground with young moms. Because there is such discussion about what you need to do for your child. (laughs) Like if your child is not learning Greek by age three, they're not going to graduate from Harvard. If you don't have the right car seat, you're a bad parent. If you, don't, if you don't have the right crib, if you don't do this, if you don't have your kid going to this preschool or that school, it's easy. It's so, so easy to get caught up in the minutia to think that you are failing your child for the future. But God and Jesus in this text reminds us, open your eyes to what is good here and now. Stop. Look at the flowers look at the birds look around you at the the blessings of today I'm taking care of them and I will also take care of you too there's another incredible story another modern day parable about a fisherman from Mexico and a Harvard MBA 
And as the story goes, this Harvard MBA had just graduated, and he goes on a vacation to Mexico. And early in the morning, as the sun is rising, he decides to take a walk on the beach. And so he's walking on the beach, and just as he's walking, there is a one boat with a, a fisherman from Mexico who is coming in. And they cross at the exact same time. And this Harvard MBA stops and says, hey, how long have you been out there? And this Mexican fisherman says, well, I've been out there an hour or so. I got what I need, and I'm coming back home. And this Harvard MBA is like, well, look, you have so much fish. You have five fish, and you were out there for only an hour? Do you imagine? Can you imagine the wealth that you are sitting right now? It's like, what are you going to do the rest of the day? He said, well, this Mexican fisherman says, well, I got what I need. I want to take these fish. I'm going to bring it home. My wife's going to cook it while she cooks it. I'm going to sit there, and, and she has, she's an expert. She's going to season it. I'm going to take a quick nap. Then I'm going to play with my son. And then uh, I'm going to help her cook the rest of the food. And then I'm going to take another nap. And then I'm going to go into town. I'm going to play guitar with my friends. And I'm going to go to bed early. And this Harvard MBA is like, oh, my goodness. Do you realize what you could do with this? If you just spend another six hours out here, maybe, maybe 12, you could get enough fish to where over the course of time get two boats. And then with two boats, you could double your intake. And then with two boats over you know, a, couple, a couple of months and years, you could get a fleet. And then with the fleet, if you keep fishing and you work these hours, you can get enough for a massive, big boat. And over time, if you do that, you can get your packing plant. You can export. You can have all of these on the supply chain. And you will be a millionaire. And uh, this basically fisherman is, oh, wow, a millionaire. I can't believe it. How, how long will this take? And this Harvard MBA started doing the math in his head. And he said, well, it would probably be about 30 to 40 years. But imagine this, you will be a millionaire and you can retire. And this Harvard, this uh, Mexican fisherman says, wow, a millionaire retired? That sounds fantastic. What do you do when you're retired? The Harvard MBA said, here's what you can do. You could wake up early. You could take one boat out and go fishing. You could catch whatever you want for the day. You could bring it back after an hour or so. You could give it to your wife. She can start preparing it. You can take a nap. And then when she starts cooking, you can go to help her. And you guys can cook side by side. And then you can play with your grandson. You can take another nap. Then you could go to town and play guitar with your friends. And you could go to bed early. And if you can catch the, the joke here. This Mexican, this Mexican fisherman already had all of that in his life. And he was going to have to work 30 to 40 years to arrive where he already was. It's amazing that sometimes in our pursuit of a life that we want and a life that we're, we're aiming for, that we already have the richest blessings beneath us. That we have been able to wake up this morning with two gifts, opening, opening two gifts, our eyes. And that this life is a gift and that we have already, if we can stop and recognize it, an abundance of blessings right here and right now, just like the flowers, just like the birds in the sky. Number two, what Jesus is also saying is to seek first his kingdom. It's a journey. It is a journey. It's not a destination. You know, many times 
we sometimes feel that faith is a destination. It's an arrival point that you get there, that you get to a point where you understand things and you got it. But really, faith, spirituality, seeking first his kingdom, it's a journey. It's an adventure. There's a quote that I've heard that I love. and It says, live as if you were to die tomorrow, but learn as if you were to live forever. Live as if you were to die tomorrow, recognizing the blessings, but learn as you were to live as if you were to live forever, because it is a journey. And if faith is what Jesus says is the issue here with worry and the accumulation of this wealth, the rat race, what is the opposite of faith? What do you guys think it is opposite of faith? I think, and this is my opinion, and if you disagree, I'd love to take you to coffee so we could, I could learn from you. Because this is where I'm at today. But I think the opposite, we oftentimes think the opposite of faith is doubt. But I don't think that is accurate. I think the opposite of faith is not doubt. But the opposite of faith is certainty. Is certainty. The opposite of faith is when you arrive at a point where you think you have all of the answers. Where you think you know who God is. And you think you know what God wants. And you think you have the exact picture of what God desires. When in actuality, that is where we should be most afraid of. Because this idea of seeking God, this idea of pursuing the divine... We never arrive because we can never fully understand God. Just when we think we have God cornered or in this box, he will blow that box up and surprise us again. We cannot understand fully. And so this pursuit, this seeking, it's a journey. It's every single day where we're learning to and growing and having conversations to seek is a journey. I feel like Jesus in this passage is saying, seek and it shall continue to be revealed. Seek and I will continue to reveal myself to you. And finally today, these are just three points and there's so many more that we could talk about today. But as the last is to give our all. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? What does it mean? It also means that we dive in headfirst. We fall headfirst in love with God. The less of us and the more of him. It's interesting, this week I had a chance to talk to Diane Dishman. And I asked her on Wednesday, I said, what do you think it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? And she said the same thing. That I had said earlier that her initial response has always been, well, you know, let's, let's study and, and let's pray and let's, let's, let's do more to, to, to find him and work to try to, to, to get to a point where we understand him more. But she said uh, recently that she has fallen more with giving all of herself to God. That's what seeking first his kingdom means, that fully submitting to who God is and his promises. She sent me a very funny but convicting poem called Lord the 
I love with half of my heart. And I have the poem right here. We even have it upstairs or on the, the screen. But listen to these words as far as... It's a, it's a, the song is actually, Lord Thee, I love with all my heart. But whoever wrote this poem changed the words to be, Lord, Thee I love with half of my heart. Lord, Thee I love with half my heart. The world has claimed the other part. I pray Thy name be hallowed, Lord, but want my name to be adored. Thy kingdom come, Thy reign extend. And rain on me wealth without end. (laughs) Thy will be done. Thy lips shall pray. And curse when I don't get my way. I thank thee for my daily bread. But cakes and steaks I crave instead. My million sins forgive, forget. While I collect a one cent debt. From tempting evils keep us free. Unless I find they pleasure me. Lord, thee I love with half my heart. Destroy, reclaim the other part. Well put about what it could look like to to go half-hearted in our pursuit of God. If we are to be people who truly seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to be people who are open and content with the blessings that we see around us each and every day. We need to be people who understand that seeking God is not a destination. It is a journey that each and every day we are learning and growing and becoming more of the image that Christ desires us to be. And finally, to seek first his kingdom means to fall head first. In love with God, to go fully in, to to dive in the pool, to give our all, to not love God with half of our heart, but to go all in. To believe what Jesus says about taking care of us. Why would we worry if we know that God says, He promises that He will take care of us? Why do we pursue to endless means to the point of of not spending time with those that we love and forgetting our purpose? Why do we pursue material gain when God reminds us that He is enough and that we are enough without that? That we have been made clean because of Jesus. Open our eyes to the blessing of today. To seek is a journey, and to give our all. Let us remember this, and as we sing the songs today, the rest of the service, let's try to live these out. Today, tomorrow, let's forget, and let's re-remember, because this is a journey. And let's remember that God is amazing. That God is sovereign. That God is taking care of the the, the trees. He's taking care of the birds. And each and every day, he's taking care of us. Let's stand and let's sing.